Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In a wide-ranging interview, Walter Lamont, CEO of Bentley & Co., joins us to share his rich experience navigating the retail industry. We delve into how consumer behavior will shift post-COVID, how businesses can use these insights to prepare themselves to have a massive rebound year once we're all back into the normal world again. There's been a shift and there's it was happening before COVID, but I think COVID is kind of making things a little bit more... I'm not into expensive, but I'm not into cheap. And I think that there's a value for money that customers are going to see um, that what they're buying, what they put their dollar on is going to, uh, to have more value, whatever, whatever level that they're buying at. We also discuss his perspectives on the history and evolution of the sector, learn about the insights he's gained during the pandemic, and how businesses can better equip themselves to navigate tumultuous times. Let's listen in. Walter, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to uh, have the opportunity to chat with you. Such a retail veteran. Um, your perspectives, both historically and you're in it, you're in it now. So you know the chat that we're going to have, the discussion we're going to have around uh, retail. I've been so looking forward to. Why don't we jump right in? Tell us uh, about yourself, your your personal professional journey, and what you do at Bentley and Co. Well, I'm a married man with uh, five kids and 12 grandkids. It kind of starts and ends with that when you uh, when you look at it. Um, very, very interesting during the um, the pandemic where you can't see anyone in the live and you have to uh, do everything by uh, by remote. But uh, we're finding our ways. And as far as the professional career is concerned, well, I've been in retail for uh, all my adult life, basically. And uh, have held every job in retail from stock boy to CEO. So uh, I've kind of seen the, the workings and the, um, and the, you know, every decade seems to, to bring its own challenge. And, uh, mm. and then transformation right. happens. And it's been no different for uh, every decade. This is the one that's, uh, <laughs> that's impacting the most by all means. <laughs> but I've been basically, um, I've been a president uh, of uh, MEX uh, Canada in 2005, and I've either had a job of uh, president or CEO since then. And um, on the side, I basically started some uh, consulting uh, work in 2018, and have um, done a couple of uh, a couple of support gigs where um, just helping people think about uh, how to go to market or uh, looking at how to build an organization not too fast, not too not too slow. And uh, so we've been doing a, a bit of work there, but uh, mostly. Uh, since 2000, um, since I started with uh, Bentley, it's been uh, it's been just really focused on getting this business uh, reorganized and re um, repositioned in the marketplace. And uh, we uh, went through a filing back in uh, 2019, as uh, the world knows. And mm -hmm. uh, since then, just when we thought we had it all figured out, well, COVID showed up. So <laughs> we've been working yeah, on that yeah, ever yeah. since. Well, let's let's talk about Bentley and Co. Just for the listeners who may not know uh, of the retailer itself, and, and give us an overview. You know how many stores, and and you mentioned uh, you had a filing. You did a bit of a reorganization pre-COVID. So give us a, a bit of the background for that, a bit of context. So Bentley uh, was created in uh, 1987, first store in Avalon Mall in Newfoundland, and um, it's uh, it's interesting to note that. Um, at some point in 2021, we'll be um, renovating a brand new store in uh, Avalon Mall. 
it <laughs> was, uh, yeah, it was full circle. Back to the beginning, um, back to where it started. Yeah. That's right, exactly. So um, Bentley was was always uh, kind of redefining itself in 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 the world of um, you know everything to do with luggage or handbags or wallets and and the. The history of, of the business was really uh, during the time where you pile or hire, let or fly. Uh, I don't want to diminish the, the, the model by saying it was a bit of a flea market, but it certainly was the, the, the mode of, uh, of uh, doing retail back in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, yeah. and that worked until it didn't. Um, so we've been, uh, before I even got here, there was a, there was a big move to, uh, closed some of the banners. I think at some point there was up to four banners or five banners and closed the banners. And we went from 500 plus stores to uh, we're now sitting at 162 stores and um, three repair centers, uh, one e-com. And, um, and basically uh, we're f- a lot more focused and we will be a lot more focused as we go forward where we're looking at the life on the go for our customers and basically anything that they would transport from point A to point B, uh, we're looking to be the solution for making that easier, safer, uh, whatever it takes. Are you mostly mall-based or exclusively mall-based? Do you have any standalone? Exclusively mall-based. We are, um, we have uh, we have one experiment that's happening in just around on a beautiful store that we opened up uh, just as uh, as everything went uh, went for a second phase of uh, of COVID. But we do believe that there is certain types of outdoor malls that would be suited to us. But for the most part, we're in enclosed malls. You know, we don't want to dwell too, too much on, on this COVID era, but it is a kind of defining moment in retail for a whole bunch of reasons. But it, as, you, as you've experienced the first, let's call it the first phase of the first year of the COVID era, obviously um, travel has been curtailed and back to school is a bit different. But from a customer perspective, how have you watched their behavior evolve over the past 10 months and 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 it's a bit of a a leading question as to what your expectations are for behaviors um in the balance of the covid era and then and then post covid but what what has been your observation over the past 10 months about what what and how customers shop it's certainly been an interesting um interesting observation when you see how customers are um turning to uh, i don't know if you remember the term cocooning but uh, it was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was the new trend back then, and there's a whole new definition. I call it cocooning on steroids. Yeah. Um, I mean, this yeah, whole yeah. thing about everybody going to uh, to shop for home, for art, for sports, for cooking, for all of these things mm-hmm. certainly took front stage. But beyond that, I think um, I think the the, the longer lasting effects of these things is that. The customers are appreciating the little things in life where they might have mm. gone away from that. Um, I think the the and you know what there's always going to be room for a cheap and cheerful, but I think that there's a there's been a shift and there's it was happening before COVID, but I think COVID is kind of making things a little bit more. I'm not into expensive, but I'm not into cheap, and I think that there's a value for money that customers are going to see that what they're buying, what they put their dollar on is going to uh, to have more value, whatever whatever level that they're buying at. Um, because I think the, the whole thing about waste is, uh, is uh, become to the forefront. You know, this home cooking, um, just as a, as a trend that will impact society, um, I think for a long term, is really talking about how do you maximize, um, you know, your grocery bill? How do you maximize mm. uh, by making everything at home? And, and that will uh, transcend to how customers will see other purchases, I'm sure. 
So you think the lessons learned and, you know, the, the, the time as consumers really is, is informing other decisions. And, and as you said, um, you know, thinking about quality versus quantity, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, I think, uh, I think for sure. Uh, if I go back to the eighties and, and look at, you know, the booms that we had in the eighties, it was consumption without any logic whatsoever. And as that came to terms, as we hit, uh, hit the nineties, um, that whole shakeout that happened in the industry, you know, it just, it took five or six years. But if you take a look at who was in business and the type of business that was in malls in 1985 versus 1995, the change was quite dramatic. I think the difference here is that there's a, an equal, uh, society change that is happening and it won't take 10 years. It's probably the only difference. I think the, the change, the, the forced uh, reflection that everybody is going through is going to change a lot about um, about what is important, and as soon as that happens, you you start changing those behaviors a lot. How did you uh, think about reflecting that in your assortment so far? Are you thinking differently about what you sell? I mean, you've already described how you sell it, how you merchandise would be a, a lot less of the, you know, as you said, pilot high, tough to get through the front door of the store into more curated. But how have you flexed your assortment to? to adapt to uh, to the circumstances and to how you think customers are going to start behaving and, and are behaving? Well, the biggest thing that we did to uh, to look at this back in April, we saw that um, travel was going to be hit. We didn't know it was going to be hit as hard as it was for sure. Mm-hmm. But what we said mm-hmm. is that we have to pivot on uh, what the customers are looking for, still staying within the realm of what we do for a living. So what we did is that we went to um, things such as uh, COVID protection. So we decided that we were not going to be in the masses. We took a little bit longer than just jumping on the first bandwagon that came along as far as uh, product is concerned. But we we brought in, which is considered probably the top 85, within the 85%, 90% effective masks and, and different uh, paraphernalia that goes with uh, protection. And uh, that has worked quite well for us, quite frankly. It, it doesn't make up travel, don't get me wrong, but it, what it did do is that it, it brought that, that editor added you know, uh, solution to, uh, to the customer. Something that we've been in development and we're going to be starting in the spring, and I wish you could have had a magic wand to do it quicker, but home office is also <laughs> going to be a thing of, of the future. Right. And so we've, uh, hmm. we've always sold business, but it was business traveler, and we're shifting that to business at home. I will always have the business traveler, but I think it's just a, a shift that's happening there. But an interesting thing that's happened is that the day trips or the things that people do every day, so handbags and wallets and leisure, quite frankly, have done quite well. Not, uh, you know, you can never make up the, the, the 70% drop in traffic that we've been getting or stores closed, but that, that all being uh, equal has been uh, the customers are seeing the value. They're discovering us sometimes for the first time, a lot of times. And, um, and that's where we see a big shift is, is that we can continue to drive value in those commodities. It's an everyday thing. And when travel comes back, we'll have uh, the wherewithal there to, to do the right thing. How are you, uh, let's pivot on malls a little bit. How are you thinking about uh, the future of malls? I get asked this question by the media almost on a weekly basis. And, and, you know, I'm still a big believer in malls. People, you know, if people want to shop, it's not just a transaction. They like getting together. But I, I have the sense that with um, whatever percentage of customers or sorry uh, people go back to work, that the B and C malls might have another life to them because people might be more shopping in their neighborhoods. How are you thinking about your your real estate footprint? What, what do you what do you think about malls? I share I share that thought. I think that there will be a um, a focus on local. Um, 
But I, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if uh, if you look at a mall and you say it didn't have anything to offer before COVID, and they don't do much about it, they're not going to be around. And whether we talk about you know six months or eighteen months or whatever, there's there's malls that you know had thirty five forty percent vacancy while things were supposedly going well. But that being said, uh, there's a lot of regional malls that are fantastic malls. I mean, they're just great little malls uh, that that really like Avalon, the, as you said. Yeah. yeah, Avalon's a wonderful mall, and and you know they're investing in the mall. I think that um, mm. there's been great investments in the in the bigger malls across Canada, just haven't been able to profit from it. Some have taken a little too long to get going, but that whole experience is mm. going to be um, is going to be important. But you know, I think sometimes what happens is that we talk about experience like it's going to be um, you know uh, dancing clowns or something in the, in the malls. <laughs> to me, an experience is if I go to the mall. I want to be able to make a full purchase and not feel like I'm compromising no matter what store I'm going in. And I think that's probably how the mall and the merchant are going to have to figure out how to do this together, whether it be having online you know, uh, social structures within the mall uh, communications to customers that actually align to, to the tenants. Um, but if they don't do that, it's, it's going to be a big miss. But I think they will. I think that that's going to be... The realization, and I think there's also going to be this um, this push on both uh, landlords and on customers to have just one. Um, no matter if I go to a mall and I want to make my purchase, I want to make my purchase without compromise. So that means I want to deliver it any which way. That's how it happens. The mall could participate in that. Uh, if that means that I need to shop on products that you don't have the space to to uh, carry it in your store, because I think smaller footprints are going to be more and more the reality, then we need to do mm-hmm. that. And there's some a choice few that do that well, but I think everyone can learn to do that a lot better. Well, it's interesting because you you have more mall owners, you know, the Simons comes to mind, who are doing deals to actually own retailers. I wonder if that's going to infuse them with the reality of, of being a retail partner. It's not like they don't know retail, but it's different when you actually are running the retailers, the mall. I mean, some of that is just, you know, let's own them because, you know, without our ownership, they're going to go away. But, you know, if you were, if you were sitting down, I think you're getting into it now, if you're sitting down with your, your partners who run the mall and say, if you could do these one or two things better, what would it be? Is it this integration with e-commerce, like get rid of the model that relies on a sales per square foot thing. You've got to be more, let's say holistic is that is that would that be your, your number 100%. one percent you know true partnership comes from saying the end in mind is is mutually owned but it's the the system is just not built quite that way this dollar per square foot and based on the average uh, selling dollars and with the you know the, the likes of the apples in the world that have influenced uh, majorly the the dollars per square foot in sales and and everybody pays a price as an average right so for me those those models are are dead and gone but i think that there is uh, there's room for them all i think that there's room for a different level of collaboration but you know what's interesting is that when you take a look at the business model so landlords getting into um into retail ownership and it wouldn't matter if it's mm-hmm. landlords or banks or whatever the one challenge that i think is 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 prevalent for i don't know as long as i can remember is that often the business context is so much front and center that um, the focus on what it is that you're selling and why it matters in the first place kind of gets lost 
And like everybody's worried about the business model and the quick delivery. And, you know, I want to deliver it an hour before you even knew you were going to order it. And, and, but you know, what's in the box in the first place is, is it worth it? And, um, right. that whole full service and, and can I trust you when I do buy something that it's not jumping through hoops? And if I do return it to this big mammoth, uh, online retailer, are they going to throw it in the dump? And is there an environmental uh, cost to this? So I think all of these things are, are certainly not yet at the forefront, but I think that those are the things that malls need to, to step up and say, don't have to give your business away to to the likes of Amazon and, and all these other big box, uh, big box, big online uh, players, um, mm-hmm. that we could be uh, the perfect marketplace. And, um, and, and that's how it was designed to be, if you look at the base. But if any retailer forgets that the product is number one, then I think uh, I think we, I think lost. that's a I think they're battle. lost. Yeah, it, you know it's interesting. You, you talk about returns because uh, you know there's some news out uh, this week. We're talking here mid January of of some big retailers just saying just keep it because <laughs> we don't want it. You know, even though you want to return it. So I think returns. Uh, you know, you know, handling returns on lower priced items is is a losing proposition sometimes. But it, it feels like I'm I'm intersecting two points. One is I'm looking at some research from Bain and Co. who said that people are doing consumers are doing curbside for five reasons. The fifth is safety, but one through four is convenience and all those other things. And then I look at returns, and of course, naturally, when you shop online, returns go up, not down, just organically. Maybe there's that intersection there. How are you thinking about returns in your business? Obviously, a weird year because you're closed, you can't take returns back. But how are you thinking returns are going to are going to evolve, and, and is there opportunity there? I think returns, uh, you know, there's there's really different uh, different realities for uh, different businesses. Uh, you know, cheap apparel uh, could be up to forty percent returns. Uh, I think it's those are stats that are not uh, unbelievable. And um, when you're already looking at um, at these things, you know, returns is just part of a business model. What is your business model to start with? And when you are willing to lose money to be able to gain market share, and it doesn't matter who you are returns are just another added negative so when you when you hear in the in the in the world of of success uh, in in e-com businesses what you're never hearing really is what is the success from a bottom line point of view mm-hmm. by the time you ship from multiple locations by the time you return from multiple locations by the time you centralize your and get you know, especially if you're talking about fashion where you have time limited shelf life, uh, there's there's no money in it. And so the consumer wants convenience. So I think the only way that this can be done is that is that uni channel. Uh, the store is my place. I return it any time. It's easy. If I don't have places to drop off because I don't have stores, I think that's where the inconvenience of just online has been and will continue. But returns um, are an inevitable part of, of, you know, I'm going to sell you four because you don't know what size. So if I can be better at telling you how to figure out your size, then you'll only buy maybe two. And I think a lot of the yeah. that's why forty percent returns. Think about it. I mean, it's just uh, it's how many people making wrong choices because they don't know how to choose. And it, I, I wonder if you share my my perspective has always been the return is a great opportunity to to continue to build a great customer relationship. You know, returns done well can be actually a great thing, right? Returns done well are a fantastic way to build that relationship. The challenge is that when you have this nameless entity that you're sending it back to a warehouse. You're happy you just got credited, but there's no relationship building there. Mm. 
So it's and it's not about uh, not being for or against uh, you know big uh, big online companies. The, the challenge is that the consumers, if you're talking experience, the one experience is that it was seamless. It was easy to buy. It came when it said, right, and it was easy to return. It's so those, those right? components it's are done. Right? But if you don't look at what's mm-hmm. in the box, I don't know how sustainable this is. And the models for profitability in many many components are just not there. So there's an acquisition of customer that's that's valued here, and there's you know there's all kinds of other benefits. But the pure um, profitability of online, I mean, I know I know some online businesses in the U.S. over two hundred million dollars, and uh, have yet to turn a profit. Yeah, like when is it? Well, let's let's um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. At, at, at what point does the model? Because the model is not almost not built to turn a profit. But anyway, that's a whole other, but that's a whole it. other that's discussion. It. Let's 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 turn our minds and and let's get to your experience and and for the listeners out there, a couple of last questions. What lessons have you learned about running and operating a business um, that you would that you would take forward post pandemic? And and the other side of that coin, the other side of that question is what things should retail industry leaders leave behind post COVID? So first of all, what have you learned uh, about running the business that you didn't already know? You're, you're such a veteran, but you know, life teaches us lessons every day. And then let's talk about what, what retailers should do less of post COVID and, and in, the, in, you know, 2022 and beyond. I don't know that there were brand new lessons. I just think that some of them just become very, uh, very amplified with uh, with challenges like this. I think uh, I think the one thing is to keep your partnerships uh, close. Um, you know, relationships with st- stakeholders, internal and external, is very, very important during times of uncertainty. And you can't over communicate. Um, even if you repeat yourself, uh, you're better to do it every week than. Uh, that they say, oh, they know I told them before. And I think that that's, uh, even in good times, you have to, uh, you don't know what the individual who's dealing with you is is dealing with. And sometimes understanding mm-hmm. um, that relationship, uh, it helps a lot. But I think um, I think the, the, the biggest things is to think like a startup. You know, you're far from a startup at 165 stores, but um, there's thinking that becomes uh, institutionalized in every organization that you do because you've always done and uh, startups don't get those hangups. They make other mistakes, but they don't have those hangups. So while, um, while being lean and agile has new meaning when cash is just not coming in with stores closed, you know, creating a seamless experience for your consumer has got to be, you know, front of mind and speed it up. We, we were always on that, that game plan, but truthfully we were going too slow. Um, and, um, I would say the last one, um, last one of, of probably a thousand more, but, uh, is, uh, is lean also applies to inventory. I mean, retailers, uh, have a tendency to love inventory. And, um, I think <laughs> that the ability in, um, faster turns and able to pivot is, uh, is going to be key for, um, for many, many moons to come just because it's, uh, it's an essential part to being where the customer is and not where she was you know that's an interesting last point because i've I've talked to executives who say essentially not the opposite but are being more towards having more inventory because it allows them more certainty in other words they felt like they were playing it too close to the line and when there's a disruption in the supply chain as there has been there they won't always be of this magnitude that they're they're caught short so how do you how do you balance those two things how do you balance that efficiency versus you know in such uncertain times how do you balance 
uh, inventory and having the right amount of stuff in the right place it's, what's what's the approach that you would recommend yeah it's um it's there's a, it's it's a long it's a long term question that retailers deal with all the time mm. um but i got to say that if you're looking at um the difference between sitting on inventory that's aging by the minute or chasing inventory i'll take chasing inventory any day but there's yeah. a balance. Okay. You got to you got to cover your core, mm. and your core has to be uh, solid within the supply chain, which which gives you your your meat and potatoes every week, no matter what business you're in. But beyond that, um, mm-hmm. you need to chase, and and if you, you'll you'll never go bankrupt by um, <laughs> unless you close the doors like we're doing now. But you'll never go bankrupt because <laughs> you're short on inventory. But you can if you got inventory, you can't sell. Oh. And uh, even oh, the most great, conservative um, retailers I know mm. have caught themselves in a position sometimes just to, to and if you have a running uh, something that's 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 driving and you have evidence of it, then go for it. There's no question. But to say overall, this is my safety net. I, I don't quite think that that's uh, that's the case because you said it costs money to hold inventory, cost uh, cost money mm-hmm. to have warehousing and whatever else we have. So um, yeah. I just think that the agility of being where the customer is in supply chain by the nature of supply chain is not an easy thing, but I think it's the only way that um, that you can survive and grow is is to have appropriate merchandise for the customer's thinking now. Last question for you. Cast your mind forward, as you probably already are, because you buy well in advance to 2022. And what do you, what do you think – how do you think retail will look different in 2022? I mean, we've already talked about likely there'll be way more people working at home than going to the office. There might be in the short term-ish less business travel. But fundamentally, what do you think will be different about retail in 2022? Well, I think that the world is going to go through, um, uh, you know, the end of cabin fever, and that's going to have all kinds of effects on on trends of anything, anything in entertainment, anything in arts, anything in travel. Mm um is there's a pent-up demand there this was uh the people weren't traveling because they hated it they're traveling because they loved it mm. and we've taken that away mm. from them uh, you know they went to concerts not because they couldn't hear it on the radio it's because they love that live feeling so all of those things i think are going to are going to come at us fast and furious but i would think that the customer um generally speaking is is going to be in a place where they say don't waste my time mm. give me the experience i want give it to me the way i want it don't overcharge me and make sure that you know quality over quantity is is going to be more and more mm. the way we're looking at it so as we look at you know 2022 for ourselves mm. you know those who will survive this thing and there will be a lot um, are going to be quite strong, actually, because I think that they've learned all these lessons and, and at least for the next five years, we'll use them appropriately. I think that there's going to be a lot more startups. I think that people are going to say, let's get uh, let's get let's fill this hole that somebody else left behind. I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, from uh, technology uh, to uh, keep reinventing the next bells and whistles about, uh, you know, what should be the next the next thing that's going to make all the difference. But I, I would suggest that any business model that is not right to start with technology is not going to fix it for you. So um, right. I think cheap and magic wand only works. The magic wand only works. Sure. Right? When <laughs> you know how much money was spent in retail and technology that was supposed to give us a three to one, four to one return. It never happened. It's uh, never if, happened. if those yeah. numbers were ever added up and really put into a bucket, you'd be, uh, you'd be shocked. You'd pay off the national debt. 
<laughs> well, listen, I, I love the way we um, we're kind of wrapping up our discussion on, on that positive note of, of, you know, if you can make it through uh, these these times that uh, the industry and, and the players in it will be stronger and there'll be new players and, and, and things will continue. So, Walter, it's been such a treat having the discussion, having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for uh, for making the time to chat uh, with hey, me on the Voice Retail Podcast. Well, this is great. Thank you very much. And you're a class act. So uh, I look forward to listening to many more of your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Voice of Retail. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news, and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn. Visit my website at melablanc.co. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.